And today we're carrying on with the series that we have been looking at, which is called Heroes of Faith. And we have looked at various characters from the Old Testament and their stories and looked at how that is applicable to our lives today and what we can take on as we go out of this building, learning from the heroes that have gone before us. And we're looking at a heroine today. We're looking at the book of Ruth. And it's an interesting book. It's one of my favorite stories of the Bible. I think I say that every time I get up here, don't I? I need to stop saying that. But I actually did one of my papers on it in my studies and sort of turned the book inside out. And if you haven't read the book of Ruth, I would really, really encourage you to do just that. It's, for me, it's almost like a biblical Romeo and Juliet, you know, the Montagues and the Capulets and all of the different tribes and coming together and different love stories and all sorts of things. So if you have read the book of Ruth, I apologize now if you do know it inside out. But I'm just going to quickly run through it and tell you the basis of the story, because it's not a very long story. You can read the whole thing in about 20 minutes. But it starts at the time of the judges, and you've got Elimelech, and he is based in Judah, tribe of Judah in Israel, and they have a famine And so he takes his family out to the Moabites, and they go and dwell there. And whilst he's there, he takes his wife Naomi with him, and they have two sons called Malon and Chilion. And whilst they're there, Malon and Chilion both marry women from the Moabite tribe. And everything looks like it's going well, until eventually Elimelech dies. And then disaster strikes as the two sons die as well. And Malon and Chilion both die. And you're then left with a story where the key parts are women. You've got Naomi, who is now a widow. You've got Ruth, who's now a widow. And you've got Orpah, who is also a widow. And eventually, news gets to them that the famine in Israel, where they have come from, is over. And Naomi says, well, there's nothing left for me here. I'm going to go back home to my people. And she turns to Ruth and Orpah and she says, you stay here. This is where your people are. I'll go back to mine. And Orpah agrees and Orpah kisses her mother-in-law goodbye and she stays. And Ruth, there's a beautiful line where she says, wherever you go, I will go. And so Ruth gives up everything to follow Naomi back to where Naomi came from. At this time, just imagine what's going on. You've now got two women who have absolutely nothing. And again, putting in the context of the time, that's a really, really desperate situation. They don't even have any children, you know, any male heirs or anything. And so Ruth goes out to glean in the fields of the harvesters. It's barley time. And the gleaning in the Old Testament was when the harvesters come through, They would often leave trails of wheat behind. You see that at the moment with the hay baling and things that are going on. And the law meant they couldn't go back and pick up anything they had dropped because that was for the poor. So Ruth went off and she was gleaning the fields. And she comes across one gentleman who finds favor in her and says, you know what, I heard you gave up everything for Naomi. And I honor that in your character. You're safe in my fields. Don't go to anywhere else because... He was vulnerable as a lone single female working in a male-dominated harvesting environment. And she goes back to Naomi in the evening, and she's got more wheat than they could ever ask for. And this goes on, and the story develops until eventually Naomi says, who is this person who you found favor with? 
And Naomi says, well, his name's Boaz. And the penny drops at that point for Naomi. And she says, Boaz, he's a kinsman redeemer. He's the answer. He's what we're looking for. And what that means by a kinsman redeemer is in the Old Testament, there were certain laws that meant what you had had to pass on to the next generation so that names could continue and property could be redeemed. And Naomi hatches this plan. And she says to Naomi, put on your best outfit, put on your best perfume and your best jewelry, because tonight the harvesting's finished and Boaz is going to be led on the threshing floor with his wheat. But there's going to be a big party, so he's probably going to have drunk a bit of alcohol and he's probably going to be a little bit morals lacking here. And anyway, go and present yourself to him. Lie at his feet while he's asleep. And the plan is hatched. And Ruth does this. She dresses up and she goes into his tent at night and she uncovers him and she lays at his feet. Don't you love the raciness of Old Testament theology? I do. (laughs) That's in the Bible. And anyway, Boaz wakes up and he's startled. He says, who is this at my feet? And Ruth says, it's me. You're my kinsman redeemer. Come take me, redeem me. And Boaz, he's quite fond of Ruth. The narrator throughout the scripture makes that clear. But he says, I can't do that. There's somebody else who's more in line and more entitled to redeem you than I am. And he sends Ruth back with bags of grain to promise to Naomi that he will deal with the situation. And the next morning, he goes out into the town and he finds this person who is more entitled to Ruth and Naomi and their property of Elimelech than he is. And he says, this is the situation. You know Naomi who's come back. You know, she's your property, really, and all of the stuff you need to renew it. And he's like, yes, I'll take on the property. I'll become richer. And then Boaz says, but you've also got to take on Ruth the Moabite. And suddenly his attitude is like, I'm not really in the mood for redeeming anymore. That's not, not really me. You, you can take that one. And so the custom was they swapped sandals and the, the deal is done. And Boaz marries Ruth and they have a child and everything is redeemed. And eventually when you look at the genealogy, that line of sort of Boaz and the children lead up to David. I think it's worth at this point just pausing and reflecting on how this story would have been for the original audience. It's quite revolutionary. It really rocks the boat of who the heroes are in the Hebrew times. And I went through this story with a couple of people. And what always comes up is how on earth is that relevant? Why is that in the Bible? Why is it there? What can we take from that today in our 21st century that's actually applicable. We, you know, we don't have, we're working on women's rights and we're working on equality and we've got tractors that do harvesting and, you know, you shouldn't really go and present yourself to drunk people. Well, how on earth is that relevant to today? What can we get from that? And I always say, look at the people in all of this. And I don't know if you've come across word clouds. I hope that's clear. And I went through the commentaries and I looked at all of the different words that people use to describe the characters. So this is Ruth up here. She's young. You could argue that she's a migrant. She left where she was to follow Naomi. But while she was in the new country, she went and worked to better herself. She was a foreigner. She was unemployed. 
She was an outcast, but she was attractive and she was young. And we can look at Naomi. I've put depression up there because in the scriptures, it says at the beginning that she felt the Lord had dealt harshly with her. That she had, the Lord had turned against her and it's clear she's battling some sort of real depression and oppression over her. There's a sadness about her that comes from her circumstances. She was a refugee. You could say that she fled the famine to go to a better place, although she followed her husband. That was the circumstances. Unlike Ruth, who was young, we learn that Naomi is older. She was a wife. And I put up there, she's quite cunning and savvy to come up with that sort of plan. And we look at Boaz, who again, he's a wealthy person. He's a businessman. The scriptures tell us he's prosperous. He's actually a citizen. He is where he, we assume, where he was born and where he grew up. He's male. Of all the characters, he's possibly the most godly. He runs his business. He, the scriptures say as he walked into the fields, he blesses everybody. And when we put all of those people together, they're all people in the ordinary. I think they're quite a good representation of society today and the people that we come across. So perhaps it is more relevant than we'd realize today. The other thing that I find fascinating about this is the way they are trying to navigate everything. Anybody here got family politics and things like that? Who's got the perfect family that never has any feuds and everything's going really well? Anyone? No, me neither. <laughs> and, you know, right from the beginning of this story, there's family politics going on. You've got the tribe of Moab. Now, Moab was the son of Lot. Lot was the nephew of Abraham. Abraham, you've got the Israelites and the tribes of Judah. There's a split in the family right from the beginning. That's quite an interesting one. What about the issue of kinsmen redeemers, the one that went, I'll do the right thing, but actually I don't really want to do that anymore. There's the family politics going on there. What about the law that's going on? These are ordinary people with navigating families in the time. Now, the two laws that are being evoked in this are Leviticus and Deuteronomy. There's one about redeeming property and one about redeeming people. But it doesn't quite work out that way. It's a bit messy. And when we try to look at the scriptures, it can be a bit messy in our own situations. And in the book of Ruth, there's someone in one of the commentaries said, the legal text represents how things ought to work, even if they never did work out that way. When Boaz married Ruth, the law said, in theory, it was Naomi's line that should have been redeemed, but it never quite worked out that way. And what you've got is people living everyday, ordinary lives, looking at the scriptures, working out what is the best way to navigate this world that they're living in. And I've got this other picture up there of the power dressing. And I'm not saying this just for women at all, so don't hear me wrong in this. But how many times do we go into a situation or we dress up or we put on suits or we wear a nice necklace and we present ourselves in a manner that will hopefully give us gain? or are willing to put ourselves in a vulnerable situation where people might walk over us 
in the hope that we get recognized for something bigger and better. One of the biggest things in the book of Ruth, when we're looking at the relevance of it, is nowhere in the book does it say the Lord said to them. You know, in um, the Hebrew Bible, quite often there's the Lord said to so-and-so, or the Lord sent to so-and-so, or the Lord came to so-and-so in a dream. Nowhere in the book of Ruth does it tell us that the Lord spoke to anybody. And so this group of ordinary heroes are trying to navigate the politics of life that aren't quite working out how they planned. And they have a faith, but nowhere do they get that clear, audible, you must do this. Anyone else relate to that? And sometimes when I speak to people, they say, but how do I hear him? And there's lots of different ways. And this sermon this morning is not on those sorts of things. It's not on discernment. It's saying, actually, we're all navigating this together. And sometimes it can be messy. One of the things I want to take away from the book of Ruth as we, have, as we have looked at all of the other heroes of faith, the Gideons and the Samsons and the Deborahs and these amazing, amazing people, is sometimes the real heroes of faith are the ones found in the ordinary. The real heroes of faith are actually the ones who every day get up and fight their own battles. What was Naomi's battle? Let's try and anchor this back in the scriptures. Well, life just hadn't turned out the way she planned. You know, growing up, she had everything. She had her husband. She had two sons. From a historical perspective, that was, you know, she was on the up. And yet in her retirement, she ended up widowed without any children. In Ruth's life, you know, she was, she married well. She was in her own tribe, and then her life ended, or her, her life took a turn, sorry, where there was prejudice and there was misunderstanding, and her battle every day was to keep going and to go back out in those fields and to keep her head down. In fact, the scriptures say, when Boaz said, who is this woman? They said, we don't know who she is, but she arrived here early in the morning, and she has not stopped all day. And what was Boaz's battle? I think one of them was trying to do the right thing, even if that means risking losing everything. When we know that Boaz was very keen on Ruth, he was very fond of her. We know that he had sympathy for Naomi's situation. And that moment when he turned around to Ruth and said, no, there is someone more entitled than I am, he risked losing absolutely everything he wanted because he knew he had to do the right thing. I think that's a big battle, isn't it? And yesterday, I received a phone call from somebody whose life was really not turning out the way they wanted. Um, we as a family have quite a few people who work with addiction and things like that. And this person, she phoned me up and 
while she's still struggling with addiction, she's found out she's potentially five months pregnant as well. And the devastation in her voice, her life hadn't turned out the way it was. And I phoned Barry for advice. I did pray on it as well before I phoned Barry. I said, Barry, what do you do in this situation? And we spoke through it and we came up with a couple of ideas. Because this time yesterday evening, I didn't really have an idea what the message was to deliver. I knew the scriptures and I knew the story, but I was like, God, what is it? And Barry, ever wise Barry that he is, said, perhaps there's something out of tonight that will come out for the message tomorrow. So I took myself off yesterday evening at about 9.30. And I just sat and I prayed and I prayed. And I ended up sitting in our church. We live in a little village called Fyldean out on Salisbury Plain. And as I sat and prayed, the Lord brought me a picture, which is very similar to the one here. And I looked out at all of the sort of the, the gravestones and things. And I realized behind each one of those stones was a person's life. It could have been a Ruth or a Naomi or a Boaz or whoever it was. And the picture, I tried to get this off the internet and it was taking someone's head. This is Jesus taking their head in his hands and saying, look at me. Really, really look at me and lifting their gaze up to meet his. And there was tears. And he just wiped the tears from their eyes. And he, as, as you looked into his eyes, behind them was every battle and every hurt and every struggle that people have ever had. And he just said, and I don't think it was a message for me, he just said, I am yours and you are mine. And there was a message in there that I think we can take from Ruth that God said, when you feel like you're in a situation that you haven't been in before, when it all looks overwhelming, God says, you haven't been here before, but I have. And there's comfort in that, I think, knowing that whatever we face, that he can lift our head up and say, you know what, you might be like Ruth, you might be like Boaz, you might be grieving, you might be struggling, but I've been there too. And you might feel like you can't get through this. You might feel like Ruth, where there is absolutely no hope and no way out. But I have been there and we can do this together. And Paul in the New Testament, I think he found this too. He's one of the heroes of the New Testament. And he sort of says, I haven't got it all figured out either. Not that I've already obtained all this, the amazingness of the cross and all of this mystery and this heavy theology. And I haven't even arrived at my goal yet, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That image. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but of one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. And there's something also in the book of Naomi, nobody ever stays still. And when God, Jesus lifted up that face in the image he gave me, it wasn't a, you're here and I'm going to keep you here. It was a look at me, we're going to move forward together through this. I think there's a message 
in that from Ruth, Naomi, she didn't stay depressed. She didn't stay in Moab in self-pity. She went back. Ruth didn't accept that she was poor. She went out to glean the field. Moab did, sorry, Boaz didn't just say, that's not my problem, it's somebody else's. They kept on going to do the right thing. I'm going to finish by reading from the rest of the chapter of Philippians that Barry kindly started reading. So let's keep focused on that goal, that goal being our faith in Christ. Those who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision and you'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. Stick with me, friends. Keep track of those you see running this same course, headed for the same goal. There are many out there taking other paths and choosing other goals and trying to get you to go along the way with them. And I've warned you many times, but sadly, I'm having to do it again. All they want is the easy street. They hate Christ's cross. But easy street is a dead-end street. Those who live there make their bellies, their gods, their belches are their praise, and all they can think of is their appetites. But there is more to life for us. We're citizens of high heaven, and we're waiting for the arrival of our Savior, the Master Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. He will make us whole with the same powerful skill by which he is putting everything as it should be under and around him. My dear friends, my dear, dear friends, I love you so much. I do want the very best for you. You make me feel such joy. Fill me with such pride. Don't waver. Stay on track. Steady in God.